Hi, this is Kevin Maloney from Grace Road Church. Thanks for listening to our sermon from Luke's Gospel. Luke writes to give a detailed account of the teaching, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. He compiled this account under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to impart faith and assuage doubt. So our hope for you as you listen is that you would sense that the picture of Jesus painted by Luke is compelling, that what you hear would give you confidence in Jesus, and that your doubts would be diminished as these truths resonate with your heart. For more messages from this series and others, you can head to our website, www.graceroadchurch.org, for audio, video, and text resources to help you walk more closely with Jesus. Well, good morning. I want to invite your attention to Luke chapter 11 this morning. And before uh, we jump into the text, let me just pray for us this morning, okay? Let's pray. Father, we are grateful to know you today. Lord, we're thankful that you and your mercy would reveal yourself to us at all, that we might know you, that we might be in relationship with you, um, that we could worship you and glorify you with our lives. So Lord, we're thankful that you've revealed yourself in nature, knowing that the heavens declare your glory. Father, we're thankful that you've revealed yourself through your Son, your Son who is the radiance of your glory and the exact imprint of your nature. And Lord, we're thankful that you have uh, revealed yourself to us through your inspired word. We believe in its truthfulness today. Lord, we believe in its value uh, to be of more worth than gold. And so, Lord, I pray that we would give our attention to you through your word uh, with open hearts and attentive ears. And God, we ask that you would challenge us, you would encourage us, that you would convict us, Lord, that you would do whatever is necessary to make us more like your son today. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to continue in our sermon series through Luke's gospel today. And just to remind you of uh, uh, our last week, our passage, uh, Jesus had responded to those who desired to see more signs and more miracles from them, from, from those that who had postponed their faith, so to speak. But Jesus says to them, you know, I'm not going to give you any sign except for the sign of Jonah. That is his future resurrection from the dead. And then he says, you know, the reason of why people don't see the light that he is, it's not because the light is dim. It's not because the light is hidden. It's simply because their eyes are blind to the light. The problem is not with the light. It's with their eyes. That is, they can't see his glory, though he is standing right in front of them. So from that scene, Jesus um, uh, encounters spiritual blindness. We walk into our next passage where Jesus is going to confront religious hypocrisy. Okay, religious hypocrisy. That's what we're going to talk about in our scene today. So let's go ahead and look at chapter 11, picking up in verse 37, where we left off last week. Okay, Luke 11, verse 37. It says, while Jesus was speaking... A Pharisee asked him to dine with him, so he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. Okay, so just to make sure we all understand who the Pharisees were, remember they, they were the religious Jewish leaders of the day. They were known to be theologically conservative, like, like to an extreme. They, extremely, they were extremely strict followers of God's law, like so much so that they would add rules on top of God's law just to ensure that they and no one else would transgress God's law. And here, in this scene in Luke 11, at this dinner party, we have a perfect, perfect example of that. The Pharisee who invited Jesus over for dinner, how, um, uh, he was, the, Luke tells us that he was astonished 
He was astonished that Jesus did not wash his hands in the ceremonial fashion that he expected him to do right before dinner. And maybe you've heard the old adage, cleanliness is next to godliness. Well, that's not actually in the Bible, but apparently the Pharisees believed it to an extent. So they took it to an extreme, creating an elaborate ceremony for washing of hands. And so in giving strict attention to their own rules, the Pharisees saw Jesus as breaking the law of God by not washing before dinner the way he thought all people were supposed to wash their hands before dinner. But to understand the warranted rebuke that's about to come in this passage from Jesus, it's important for us to understand that Jesus did not break God's law here. All that Jesus did was violate man-made religious ritual. In other words, Jesus violated the Pharisees' law, but he didn't break God's law. And so this really, this dinner party sets up a confrontation between Jesus and these religious Pharisees. Okay, so look what what happens. Verse 39, and the Lord said to him, now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also, but give as alms those things that are within, and behold, Everything is clean for you. So Jesus here does not mince words at all at dinner. In fact, he calls them fools. He says, you guys are fools because you care much more about your outward appearance than with the condition of your heart. It's as if he's saying, listen, your hands are clean, but your hearts are filthy. It's like washing the outside of your dishes while ignoring the inside. I mean, if you did that, no one would consider those dishes clean. In fact, I remember just a handful of years ago, uh, we went to get into our car, and, and we opened the door, and when we tried to get in, we were just hit in the face with a terrible odor. And so we were searching the car to figure out where that smell was coming from, and we quickly realized that one of our daughter's sippy cups that was filled with milk had rolled under the seat, and it had been in there a couple days baking in the hot car. So you can imagine the smell that we had. And we opened the sippy cup, and of course we saw the milk was all curdled and just smelled even worse. But when we took the cup inside, we didn't just wash the outside, fill it back up with milk and hand it to our daughter. That would be disgusting and terrible parenting. No, we we cleaned both the outside and the inside of the cup. Only then is that cup actually clean and ready for use. And so Jesus said to the Pharisees, listen, You've given attention to the outside, your actions, your rituals, your rules, but you've completely ignored your hearts. The God who made the outside made the inside too. God cares about your heart. And in fact, Jesus actually gives definition, kind of a diagnosis of uh, the problem of the Pharisees when he addresses his disciples at the end of our passage today in actually Luke chapter 12. Look at what he says in verses 1 through uh, 3. Dr. Luke writes, in the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. In other words, the Pharisees, Though they were very religious and looked moral in their outward, external actions inwardly were wicked. 
They looked like they were living lives of spiritual vibrancy, but in reality, they were spiritually dead. Jesus says they were hypocrites. This is the very definition of hypocrisy. And so what follows at this dinner party, after this confrontation, is Jesus identifying those characteristics that were common to the religious hypocrites of his day. But listen, they're characteristics um, that could easily be seen seen in our lives today as well. And so Jesus really is giving a warning to his disciples then, but for us as well. Like we might be able to fool others with our outward spiritual appearance, but no one's able to fool God, he says. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed. He sees beyond the the shiny gleam of our religious lives, and he sees the true nature of our hearts. Therefore, with this passage, we really should take heed lest we become hypocritical Pharisees ourselves, okay? So in this confrontation, the Pharisee says, Jesus, I'm, I'm astonished. You're not following our rules like we really feel like you should. And Jesus says, you're a fool because you care more about the outward action rather than your heart. And then Jesus goes on to pronounce woes on the Pharisee. Now, we've heard that language a little bit already in Luke's gospel, saying woe to them or woe to you. It's just a way to express kind of a sadness for someone's condition. It's kind of like saying, man, I feel sorry for you. And so Jesus goes on to to pronounce these actually three woes on the Pharisees at dinner. So let's go ahead and look at verse 42. It says, but woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So the first characteristic of a religious hypocrite that Jesus points out is that religious hypocrites elevate law over love. I mean, the Pharisees were following the law that called for a tithe. That is the call to give the first tenth of their resources to the Lord as an offering. And they were so zealous to keep their tithe that Jesus says, you know what, you you will even take your spices and you'll ration it out to extreme precision to make sure you're giving the tenth. But while they go to great lengths to keep the tithe, Jesus says, guys, you're ignoring the greatest commandment that there is, which is to love God and love people. In fact, this is what Jesus meant when he said to them in Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 23, verse 24, he says, you blind guides straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. In other words, you're giving your attention to the tiniest of details while ignoring the most important responsibilities. And again, this really is a danger for all of us. We have to be aware of loving our own, you know, man-made rituals, our own rules, our own preferences, while neglecting loving the Lord and loving our neighbors. According to Jesus, this is religious hypocrisy. But he goes on, look at verse 43. He says, Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. What Jesus is pointing out here is that religious hypocrites love recognition and praise for their spirituality. The Pharisees were well-respected. In fact, they would be offered front-row seats at church, and you might not think of the front row at church as a reward, but they did because everyone could see them. And they would be well-known in the community, and they'd be highly respected, and, and in their pride, they ate up the attention. They were eager for people to not only see their spirituality, they were eager to be recognized for it, and celebrated. But Jesus calls us to a different way of life, doesn't he? 
Jesus calls us to a life that puts the interests of others before our own in humility. A life that makes our sacrifices in secret. A life that waits patiently for the Lord to to put us in the positions he wants us in in life. A life that doesn't really care about the opinions of others compared to what God thinks of us. I mean, it's a way of life that stands in complete opposition to that of the Pharisees. Then look at verse 44, this third woe to the Pharisees. Woe to you, for you're like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. Now, this woe is significant for a couple reasons. First of all, Jesus is declaring them dead by calling them unmarked graves. But he was also saying that their way of life was contaminating everyone else that looked up to them. And and by doing that, he's referring back to the law, actually, in Numbers chapter 19 in our Old Testament. This is part of the law, Numbers 19, verse 16. It says, whoever in the open field touches someone who was killed with a sword or who died naturally or touches a human bone or a grave shall be unclean seven days. Again, anyone who came into contact with a grave would be unclean. And so Jesus is saying, you guys are like unmarked graves. People run across you, hear your teachings, see you in the marketplaces. They don't even realize you're dead. And so what Jesus is saying here is that religious hypocrites are not only in personal danger, but they're a danger to others. You see, it's one thing to believe a certain way that leads to personal error, but it's a whole other thing to lead others astray in that same error. I mean, it's a sad condition to be constrained by made-up rules and rituals, but it's an even greater sorrow to bind other people by those same rules. And so we need to be careful as we pursue godliness that, first of all, we are truly walking in the way of the gospel, so nothing more, nothing less. But second of all, to be careful and not um, demanding of others things that are not in line with the gospel. Again, if we do, Jesus says, you're being hypocritical. This is religious hypocrisy. And so Jesus says, woe to you Pharisees. I feel sorry for you. Why? Because you elevate law over love? Because you love recognition and praise for your own spirituality? Because they are a danger to other people. But then, at this point in the story, the scene shifts. Jesus pronounces these woes, and someone speaks up. Someone answers Jesus. Look at verse 45. It says, One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. So Luke tells us that a lawyer was at dinner as well, and he answered Jesus. Now, uh, we've seen, uh, we talked about lawyers a few weeks ago, exactly who they were. It's really important for us to understand exactly who they were. Again, uh, they were not the same as lawyers uh, as of today, that what we might think of the modern-day lawyer. In other words, they didn't go to trial to you know, prosecute or defend people in accordance with the local legal system. Um, that's not who they were. When we read of lawyers in the Gospels, it, it means something different. We might say that the lawyers were kind of like the theological ninjas of the day, right? Like they were experts in the law, but in God's law. Like they knew it inside and out. In fact, it might be helpful to think of the Pharisees kind of as the fundamentalists and the lawyers kind of as the seminary professors. Not all Pharisees were lawyers. Not all lawyers were Pharisees. But occasionally there were lawyers who were also Pharisees. And so this lawyer who's at dinner also with the Pharisees, 
and Jesus speaks up almost to say, you know, Jesus, I don't think you mean to, but that's actually pretty insulting to me and the other lawyers that are here. Thinking maybe that Jesus didn't realize how offensive he was being and he might just respond saying, hey, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend you. Uh, Maybe he'd back off a little bit. But man, the lawyer was mistaken because Jesus, again, does not hold back and begins now pronouncing woes on the lawyers, these religious leaders as well, saying, listen, you might be in a different position than the Pharisees, but your hearts are exactly the same. In fact, he gives three more woes. That was three to the Pharisees. He's going to give three woes to the lawyers. Look what he says in verse 46. And he said, woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear. And you yourself do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. And so in addressing these lawyers, Jesus points out a few more characteristics of religious hypocrites. So we just saw in verse 46, religious hypocrites exercise authority without compassion. They exercise authority without compassion. Again, these were supposed to be Israel's spiritual leaders, the ones who were supposed to lead Israel into a love for God and a love for his law, to keep his commands as an expression of submission to and joy for their good king. But the lawyers slipped into legalism. They added rules on top of the law, so much so that in reality, their rules replaced God's law. And so the people began to believe that this legalistic obedience was necessary for their own salvation. Jesus says that this is a burden for the people. In fact, the rules were so complicated that it was impossible to follow them all. It was even impossible to understand them all. In fact, one commentator uh, likened it to trying to follow a study Bible written by the IRS, meaning there were so many rules, so many policies, so many laws that the average person just couldn't figure it all out, couldn't keep it all straight. And so they just had to trust the lawyers and what they said. But to make things worse, Jesus says these lawyers, rather than helping them understand, just condemn them for not doing it. Again, they exercised authority without compassion. They were domineering in their leadership. Then he goes on, verse 47. He says, Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you're witnesses and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Now, what does Jesus mean here? Jesus is saying, ultimately, that religious hypocrisy is rebellion against God. You see, what he's explaining is that the forefathers of these Pharisees and of these lawyers Uh, killed the prophets of God in generations past. And so God would send his people, his prophets, with his message to Israel and to the religious leaders to say, hey, you need to shape up, you need to repent. And they hated it. And so what they ended up doing is they killed them because they hated the message of truth. They hated to hear of how they were sinful and guilty of pride and hypocrisy and idolatry. And so they murdered the people who brought that message. But then, generations later, tombs would be built, memorial tombs in honor of those prophets killed in generations past. And Jesus says, you know, that's nice and all, 
but really, you guys are just sharing in your father's murderous rebellion. The idea here, it wasn't an issue with the tombs per se. It was an issue with their hearts. In other other words, they were no different from their ancestors. They still walked in rebellion towards God and were guilty of the same pride and of the same injustices as before, regardless if there were memorial tombs or not. It was the same. You see, for the religious hypocrite, it's tempting to give some outward show of devotion or, you know, some sort of penance while at the same time never truly repenting in our hearts. And when we do that, really, Jesus is saying, all that we're doing is is trying to disguise our rebellion with religious action. He says, guys, that's religious hypocrisy. Then look what he says in verse 52, his third woe to the lawyers. Woe to you lawyers, for you've taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. Jesus says, listen, religious hypocrites are hindrances to life and salvation rather than a help. They're hindrances rather than a help. Though the lawyers were meant to teach the people to know God and follow him well, they ended up with their man-made rules, their man-made rituals, keeping people from even knowing God at all. They were obstacles in the way to salvation rather than an assistance to see the way clearly. And again, this is a help for us. This is a helpful warning for all of us who recognize the call to point people to Jesus, that we have to guard ourselves from letting our own preferences or any religious tradition that's not found in Scripture stand in the way of people or even, or, or even ourselves from seeing the beauty of the gospel. Now, at this point in the story, you can imagine that this had to have been the most awkward and uncomfortable dinner party ever. Right? Like Jesus was invited to have a nice meal with these Pharisees and lawyers. He gets confronted about not keeping up with their man-made rules, and Jesus just let, lets loose on them. And it would be good to ask ourselves, if I was there, like if I was at that dinner party, if I was sitting around the table, if I was the one who threw the party, and Jesus confronted me like that, how would I respond? Like, like if, if Jesus pointed out my own religious hypocrisy, what would be my reaction? Well, I think for many, they would respond with rebellious rage. In fact, that's exactly what Luke tells us happened that day there in chapter 11. Look at verse 53 and 54. It says, as he, Jesus, went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. In other words, there was a tension in the air, but there was anger in the hearts of the Pharisees and the lawyers. And they were ready to see Jesus silenced for good. So they're trying to catch him. Maybe he'd slip up on something and they could bust him for it. However, should the Lord reveal in your life, should the Lord reveal in my life, any hint of religious hypocrisy, we can respond differently. In fact, I want to point out a striking parallel of this scene that we just read in Luke 11 with a passage from Isaiah in our Old Testament. See, in Isaiah chapter 5, we can read about how the Lord would speak through his prophet, one of those prophets we talked about earlier. Again, he was speaking through his prophets, calling his people to repent of their wickedness. And in chapter 5 of Isaiah, the Lord pronounces woes to the people regarding, again, their sin of pride, their sin of injustice, their sin of even drunkenness. 
Interestingly, there are six woes pronounced in Isaiah chapter 5, exactly like in Luke chapter 11. The, the three to the Pharisees and three to the lawyers. We have six woes in Isaiah 5 and six woes in Luke chapter 11. However, there's one thing different in Isaiah. When we go on into Isaiah chapter 6, we actually read of a seventh woe. A seventh woe. This time, though, not from the lips of the Lord concerning his people, but from the lips of Isaiah concerning himself. At the sight of seeing the almighty, holy God on his throne, Jesus responds in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5. He says, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. What happened was Isaiah was broken when he realized of his own sinfulness, his own hypocrisy, in the sight of the Almighty Holy God. And that's exactly how the Pharisees and the lawyers should have responded that day when Jesus was with them in Luke chapter 11. The next woe should have been their own. So listen, should the Lord convict you concerning your hypocrisy, which, which he is bound to do at some point in your life, don't respond in rebellion like the Pharisees. Respond with humble confession like Isaiah. We say, yes, Lord, you're absolutely right. Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips as I stand before the holy throne of God. You're right, Lord. At times, I do care about my religious activity much more than my inward attitudes towards you and other people. At times, I do care more about my spiritual appearance in the sight of other people rather than my spiritual health in your eyes. The truth is that we're all Pharisees at some point in our lives. But there is gospel hope for us. You see, the good news is that God's grace extends to and covers our hypocrisy. Jesus lived a perfect, hypocrisy-free life for people like you and me, religious hypocrites. Jesus always followed the Lord consistently. Jesus never added things to God's law that wasn't in line with God's heart. And Jesus came to give freedom to others from the slavery of their sin rather than bind them to a new kind of slavery that's just wrapped in a religious appearance. In fact, Paul writes about this so beautifully in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. It says, For our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, though Jesus was without sin, he took on our sin, all of it, all of our pride, all of our greed, all of our selfishness, all of our hypocrisy. And in taking our sins on himself at the cross, he paid the debt we owed to our holy God. And because of our repentance and our faith in the work of Christ, we're found in him, given a righteousness that's not our own, but nonetheless ours. And again, this is really good news for us. Because now we don't have to pretend that we have it all together. Like we don't have to flaunt our spirituality in front of other people seeking approval or admiration. In fact, we shouldn't flaunt it at all because the, any faith that we have, any spiritual growth we enjoy, any spiritual maturity that's experienced in our hearts is not of our own doing, but is wholly a gift of God in His grace. So, so listen, there is gospel hope for our hypocrisy. But Jesus' words against the Pharisees and the lawyers are a good warning for us as well, particularly as we fulfill our call to point people to Jesus. Again, we need to be careful of what we're communicating when we speak on behalf of the Lord. I mean, unfortunately, I've been to a number of churches that would be considered fundamentalists, 
And I've heard many sermons that consisted of really nothing more than pronouncing the rules of Christianity, doing nothing but heaping guilt on the congregation without ever offering the hope of the gospel. And don't misunderstand me. Godliness and holiness are real calls on our life. This is what God expects from us. We're called to turn away from sin and pursue holiness as we reflect God who is perfectly holy. However, do good things is not the gospel message of Christ. Believe and then do good things as a result is the message of Christ. See, we're first given new hearts before we do good works and not the other way around. Like we can't reverse the order because in so doing, we're not proclaiming the true gospel of Jesus. And instead of clearly showing the way of salvation, we'll just be standing in the way, blocking others from entering just like the lawyers were. You see, as Philip Ryken has noted, we must not present the Christian faith as a law to keep rather than a gospel to believe. But you might be listening to this and thinking, you know, with the Pharisees and the lawyers, them being called out for by Jesus, that's exactly what I thought Christianity was. Like perhaps all you know and think about Christianity is that it's a heavy-handed religion focused on rules and judgment on those who don't keep them. And maybe it's because of your past experiences with a church. Maybe you sat under a pastor or a ministry um, that was domineering in the way they led and taught. Maybe you saw men who were supposed to gently shepherd their people, but rather uh, heaped guilt and shame on anyone who didn't fall in line. Or maybe you've seen church leaders or, or other uh, supposedly spiritually mature Christians proudly flaunt their spirituality for everyone to see. Maybe made you feel less than or insecure because of where you are in your faith. Or maybe you've become cynical because you know they lead a very different life than the one they present on Instagram. Well, the good news is that Jesus is better than what you've seen or known before in the gospel. You see, unlike the Pharisees of Jesus' day, and unlike any modern-day legalist, Jesus' yoke is easy and it's light. In fact, listen to Jesus' own words in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, Jesus offers an invitation for all of us who felt the weight of perfection crush them, trying to live up to the expectations of others, the expectations of our culture, the expectations of ourselves, of our families, and even the expectations we thought were God's. But Jesus says coming to him should be like taking an eternal weight off of your shoulders. And so if people have presented Christianity as different than that, and you're exhausted of heavy-handed religion and keeping man-made rules and rituals, of being let down by putting your hope in people you thought had it all together, Jesus invites you to come and find rest in him. And the reason his yoke is easy and his burden is light is because God gives through Jesus what he demands through the law. Does God demand perfection? Yes. Does God expect his people to be perfectly holy? Yes, he does. And his law shows us that. However, that's not all that God shows us. In fact, God shows us his love by sending his son to fulfill that law on our behalf so that now we can be seen as perfect and holy in Christ. So let me ask, in what ways might you be hypocritical in your actions or your attitudes? 
It's bound to happen. But you can repent of those today. You can find rest in Jesus. His grace covers your hypocrisy. So let me ask, are you exhausted today? Like spiritually exhausted? Because you've been trying and trying to keep rules in order to be found righteous before God. Listen, Jesus invites you to come to him by faith and find rest. Jesus asks you, just lay down your imperfect obedience and he'll give you his perfect obedience. That's the good news for religious hypocrisy today. Let me pray for us. Father, once again, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've inspired and preserved it for us. And Lord, though we hate to admit it, we're more like the Pharisees and lawyers than we'd like to admit. At times, we elevate rules, keeping over, uh, rule keeping over love for you, for others. Whereas at, at times, we arrange our lives in a way that shows off how spiritual we are uh, with hopes of others to see it and celebrate it. But Father, we want to respond to your conviction with the humility of Isaiah rather than with the rebellion of the Pharisees. And Father, we thank you for Jesus who would come on our behalf and live the hypocrisy-free life we couldn't live and die in our place on the cross. Lord, thank you that you extend grace to cover every way in which we sin against you, even those times that is wrapped up in religious appearance. Father, help us to be a help and not a hindrance to others finding you by the way we speak about you and teach your word. Thank you again for being so patient with us. Lord, help us now in the coming weeks to be people that faithfully and accurately represent you to the world around us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.